Hey, it's Mike Halford from the Halford and Bruff Podcast. One, thanks for downloading. Two, thanks for listening. Three, why not leave a review while you listen to the podcast? And now, back to the show. Okay, you know it's not Halford and Bruff by now. It's uh, Dan Riccio and Jamie Dodd here for Halford and Bruff. In the morning, the official automotive sponsor of Halford and Bruff is the the, the Delari family of Acura dealers. Still getting the marbles out of my mouth this morning. Let's try that again. Three, two, one. The official automotive dealer of Halford and Bruff is the Delari family family Woo! of Acura dealers. Third off times to, off to a good start. Third time's the charm or what? Uh, the official automotive sponsor of Halford and Bruff is the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today. Well, there we, we start, go. Start the intro again. We can. There we go. Take. We did it. We did it. The first segment is just twenty minutes of reads. <laughs> <laughs> Alfred and Bruff. Uh, the first hour is brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Build your company to win with Kubota from Avenue Machinery. I was just so thrown off <laughs> by that clip, like no context. Just like, hey, here's some guy on the radio saying I rubbed up some balls a lot in my life. Like what? Well, it's important for people to know their information in the previous day of sports right so yeah i've rubbed up quite a few balls in my life can can i get some context please it's better if you don't <laughs> just just you know i like that it sounds like he's responding to an accusation you know, like <laughs> yeah i've done it what of it what do you want huh uh it's cameron mabin okay. from the mariners broadcast last night right and just like 20 seconds of dead air right after yeah right? I, I trimmed it there's 18 seconds they counted it 18 seconds of dead air I feel like there was some laughing going on. There oh, must yeah. have been some snickering, like just. They're just like we're, we're not sure how to follow that up. <laughs> how do we collect ourselves in this moment? Sure, it was a good learning experience. Yep. <laughs> I'm surprised I just so didn't wait, do that. The... Was the following statement? I, I yes. just I'm surprised I didn't just do the classic two-two uh, pitch on the way. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Cameron may have been somewhere stashed away uh, in uh, in my old collection of baseball cards. I have a Cameron Mabin rookie card. Very highly touted. He was, card. yeah, he yeah. was a part of the uh, Miguel Cabrera trade, I believe. One yep. of the one of the pieces going the other way. Yeah, because he was uh, he was drafted by Detroit, I do believe. Yep. Were you a big baseball card guy as a kid? Uh not entirely. I was I was big into hockey cards, but that was it. Yeah, that was my life for about. From the ages of six to twelve, <laughs> I just I worked at a card shop. So. Really? Oh yeah. Oh, that's right. You did. And we kind of ran into some cards every now and again. But my most prized uh, baseball card was a Evan Longoria signed rookie jersey patch auto. I I don't even know the the lingo anymore. I had a signed Sean Green rookie card. Yeah. Yeah. That I bought from a card shop in oh, Toronto, wow. actually. Oh yeah. Yeah. Maybe not yours, but a, a card shop in Toronto. Yeah. Sean Green. He's a big Sean Green guy, and then he went to the Dodgers. Yeah, when he had that three-homer game. He was legendary. Four homers, no? Four, did he have did the four-homer four game? game? It was Delgado who had the four-homer game. Balak shaking his head. Come on, Balak. I you're don't remember a green four-homer yeah, game. Yeah, you're right. Delgado you had a four-homer game. Yeah, that game was electric against the Tampa Bay Devil Rays back then. My most prized card, even though I've been told it's absolutely worthless, is that famous Pavel Bure card with him on the the rollerblades sitting on the fence. <laughs> with the great, like, the, the ultimate 90 shorts. Yeah, it's one of the great all-time card. great hockey cards. Yeah. Apparently it's not worth a thing, but uh, it's it's amazing. So yeah. Sean Green did have a four-home run game. It was with the Dodgers. Uh, he had 19 total bases in the game. Wow. Pretty good. Pretty that's, good. That's Aaron that's Judge that's night. Right yeah, that's right. That's an Aaron Judge night. Yes. Uh, it's 
Dan Richo and Jamie Dodd. We are Halford and Bruff in the morning. Let's get to what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. Oh, what happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? Miss that? You missed that? Uh, what happened? Well, a lot yesterday. The biggest sports story on the planet was Serena Williams. It was not to be a fairy tale finish for her first tournament since announcing she will be retiring at the end of the U.S. Open. Serena losing in straights to Belinda Bencich. An emotional farewell to the Canadian crowd. It was nice. It was good, yeah, and yep. obviously, as we expected, the crowd very much in Serena's corner. Yep, wasn't to be. We knew it was a possibility, right? Yep. That you know uh, that she would lose in that one, but because of the announcement, because of all the hype, got a chance to still have a farewell with the Toronto crowd, and it was a good moment. Uh, great gifts given uh, by the uh, Toronto crowd as well. Uh, a nice Raptors and Maple Leafs jersey. I'm sure she'll uh, love that. Keep, keep those yeah. as prized possessions. <laughs> Huge Maple Leafs fan, yes. Serena Williams. <laughs> Always has been. She just loves John Tavares. Yeah, yeah. who doesn't? Right? She really thinks they need more grit in the back, yeah. on the back end. She can't believe that uh, Rasmus Sandin isn't signed to a contract <laughs> yet, you know? That's your goaltending <laughs> plan this year? <laughs> Matt Murray? Yeah, Serena's uh, very very clearly not a Dubas fan. Yes. Uh, so that uh, that was part of the story yesterday at uh, the National Bank Open and, uh, you know, continued to, to just have some some great farewells to Serena. You know, I do, I think back to the Sedins, like what would it have been like if they didn't do the farewell tour? You know, if we didn't know that they were going to retire at the end of that 2017-18 season, you know, think of how many memories you would have been left without. Those are... Basically, the best memories you've had inside Rogers Arena for the last almost decade. Ten years, yeah. pretty much, almost. Uh, well, yeah, because uh, the first-round loss to the Calgary Flames, that, that wasn't very fun. Yep. First-round loss to the San LA Sharks, Kings. LA Kings. Yep. yep. So you haven't had a lot of good memories at Rogers Arena from a playoff perspective since since 2011. And, I like, the, the farewell tour – if you are a certain stature of athlete, I think it's a must. What would we do without the farewell tour at this stage? Yeah, I mean, I look, it, it's up to the athletes how they want to do it, but this the example of the Sedins is a good one. It would have been very anticlimactic if, they, if it had just been, you know, media yeah. day after the season, and they said, yeah, you know what, we're going to hang them up. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't want to tell you guys, but that was actually our last game, so goodbye. It would have felt wrong. Yeah, in some way. And again, look, it's the athlete's decision to make, but you do when when you have followed athletes like that for so long, they've been kind of a part of your daily life, right? And you've seen them develop and you've seen them reach those heights, you want a chance to give them that acknowledgement, give them that respect, give them that farewell that they deserve. And it does seem more and more common that we're getting that right that that athletes are giving people a little bit of notice uh before they decide to retire. And I think it makes sense because fans want that chance. They want to know, hey, this is the last this is my last opportunity to see it live. This is my chance to to show my respect and my appreciation for what they've done. Um this text 
I'm just preparing everybody uh, for just <laughs> how ridiculous this text is. What happened was Serena got destroyed. She should have retired two years ago. <laughs> I don't know, man. <laughs> like, okay. There are some athletes that uh, go a little bit too long in their careers. Not going to do that with uh, with Serena Williams. No. Um, kind of a ridiculous take coming in on the Dunbar lumber text line. So it's, um, it's going to continue over at the national bank open. It's going to continue with Serena. We'll see what happens. U S open. She's obviously not right now in the best state of her game. It's part of the reason she is hanging it up. She's not focused on her game as much as she used to be, but as far as CanCon goes, at the National Bank Open. You heard in the opener that Layla Annie Fernandez lost in straights, but the CanCon remaining, Felix Auger-Aliassime on the men's side in Montreal and Bianca Andreescu advancing to the third round in Toronto with a three-set victory last night over Alice Cornet, a match that took two and a half hours to play. Uh, Bianca is... Um, for somebody who's not playing at 100%, she's really like, she's playing some grueling matches right now. And that was a great match to watch yeah. as well. That was a ton of fun to watch. Yeah, Bianca, Bianca is one of the most, like, she she is, when she's on, she's a ton of fun to watch. And she's, yeah, she's just extremely entertaining. And there's so much emotion in everything she does. And I think so, sometimes it rubs her opponent the wrong way, oh, right? Yeah. How much emotion there is. But when you're rooting for her, it's great. And she was on top of her game. And you're, you're right. It, it is. It's always fascinating, too, to see how she appears to be kind of fighting through whatever physical constraints or physical situation she's dealing with. Uh, and it's impressive when she's able to do it. And last night was a great example of that. Um, the, the one thing about Bianca, I feel, you know, after I remember even after she won the U.S. Open in 2019, part of the conversation was around her. It's like, yes, what an exciting young talent can she stay on the court? You yep. know, like it, even then it was a discussion. And since then, she's obviously had her battles staying on the court and avoiding injury. It just, this is kind of the thing with her. You you hope she just gets right enough for a period of time that she can string some tournaments together and win some more slams, right? Because the talent is always going to be there. She has the power in her game and when she's playing well, like last night, she can come to the net, make some great shots there, some winners there. It's it's just about staying on the court with her yeah. because the talent, the power in her game, everything is in it. And when it comes to Felix, I don't know. Like he's He's been one of the better players now for a while. He's uh, the sixth seed in this Montreal tournament. It feels like Chapo is still the star on the men's side sometimes. And maybe it's because we remember the mm -hmm. Rafa defeat from a few years ago, but Felix is, is the player yeah. that's likely to be more accomplished. Well, in, in terms of results recently, there's no, yeah. there's really there's no, no comparison. It's, yeah. it's Felix over Chapo, right? And Chapo is kind of into that. I'm not going to get invested until there. We see some, some results strung together at this point, right? Like still root for him. That's great. But I, I'm not going to get ahead of myself again until we actually see it happen on the court. Whereas with Felix, you can still watch him and have that level of confidence. Uh, you know, as you said, six seed in this tournament, I believe he's ninth over ninth ranked in the world right now. So he is, you know, legitimate 
top-end player on tour. Do you want to see more wins? Do you want to see him go deep in a major and, and all that? Yeah, absolutely. But the results have been there much more consistently for Felix than Shapo. It's, uh, it's going to be fascinating to see how Felix uh, handles the rest of this tournament. We'd love to see a Canadian take home the National Bank Open whether in Montreal or in Toronto. So last night, uh, the Canadian team over at the World Juniors kicked off their tournament, a 5-2 victory over Latvia. Ridley Gregg had the outstanding goal of the night, a one-handed, uh, one-handed deke on the, uh, on the partial breakaway that uh, really took away the evening as the highlight, but uh, Connor Bedard remains the main story. He was the shining star coming into the tournament. He's the projected number one overall pick. He's the next coming and is continuing to look the part. I, I, I was looking up the stats this morning and it says he's got seven points. Canada only scored five goals last night. I'm not sure how that's possible, but Connor Bedard's a part of it. So I guess it is. There you go. He's just that good. Yeah. <laughs> he's just that good. Reach. <laughs> <laughs> capable of doing things we never imagined. Uh, it's, but he showed off the yeah. shot, right, which we've heard so much about. We talked to Drancer about it on Tuesday, you know, how he's kind of imitated consciously that Austin Matthews drag shot, and that was how he scored. And it looked great. It looked dangerous. It looked like everything it was advertised to be. I also got to give a shout-out. I mean, first of all, to Latvia as a whole, right, like final score, 5-2. There's been some times where Canada has played Latvia early, early in this tournament, and it's been like 14 nothing or something yeah. like that, right? So shout-out to Latvia for keeping it close and really make Canada Canada work. Uh, and also shout-out to one of the Latvian goal scorers, Bogdan's Hot-Ass. Fantastic name. Say that again, sorry? Bogdan's Hot-Ass. What? 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 I, I what? Just, That's what? a real name? One more time. I need to... Bogdan's Hot-Ass. Mm. Get out of here. B-O-G-D-A-N-S is the first name. H-O-D-A-S-S is the last name. That's that's not me chuckling sure like not a five-year-old. Ho- ass or something? I or? mean, maybe. It's not quite as fun to say, though. Excuse me, Mr. Hot Ass. Yes, you called. <laughs> so anyway, shout out to him. Mr. Hot Ass is my father. You are all children. <laughs> Get yourselves together. I got to figure out the pronunciation of that last name. <laughs> uh, yeah, great goal by uh, Bogdan's Hot Ass. Fantastic. I'm Sensational sorry. I'm goal. Sorry. I'm sorry. Um, five. So that's one of the things, though. Like, you could spin that the other way and be like, well, Canada's not that impressive. Well, not if they're not yeah, beating sure. Latvia by more than three goals. That's fair. Yeah. Now, look, sometimes that happens. And especially everything about this tournament is weird, right? Yeah. Everything about this tournament is weird. The so there's like seven people in the crowd for most <laughs> yeah, of these games. Exactly. That's the pretty Canada weird. Game, like I've never seen a Canada game. So like mu- so little attended. No, I saw for one of the later games, I think it was Germany, Austria. One of the, the one reporters, after the Canada. Yeah. Game, one right? of the reporters there just like physically count. He's like <laughs> attendance tonight, 12. <laughs> Cause he just looked around the building. He was like, yeah, there's 12 people here. If you can, if you can just look around and count yourself and not, not a have good to sign. wait for the uh, the in stadium announcement. Well, it's a little surprising too that the one after yeah. the Canada game would have so few people there because you're not even selling tickets for that game. You're just like, yeah. if you're in for the Canada, just game, stick around, like, yeah. stick around, have a beer, watch yep. another game. It's like, nah, I'd rather not. <laughs> I'd rather not. I'd rather just like go enjoy the night. I yeah. guess 
Maybe I got to be up early in the morning. I, I don't know. I think I've been to movie double features that had more people stay. Yeah. For the yes, one than that. absolutely. But uh, 12. Yeah, 12. Seriously, though, that's a good point, though. If you went to a movie theater and there's only 12 people, it would feel super empty. You're like, wow, not many people here. This is a 20,000 seat building and there's yeah. only 12 people there. That's amazing. Uh, anyways, I'm not worried about Canada yet because <laughs> it's a weird tournament. So um, Canada will uh, be playing Slovakia today. Three o'clock uh, is the puck drop for that one. I, um, you know, Ridley Gregg scores that goal. He took a couple of penalties in the third period that were not so great. He's 20 years old, so he's uh, one of those overagers that's been allowed to play in the tournament because technically this is last year's tournament being played in August after it was postponed. So I get all that. Great goal. He is one of the players that is highly touted that hasn't yet really made the NHL for the Ottawa Senators. And I started to think, like, the Ottawa Senators, if you were to just, like, hey, grab 32 people and you each get to select a team to take over as general manager, is Ottawa one of the first picks in that draft. I don't know about one of the first. Really? Well, look, I get where we all get excited about young players and prospects and all that, but, I mean, in this theoretical universe, don't you, isn't there something to be said for taking a team that can be competitive right away, too, right? right. You yeah, know what I mean? So I'd still be drawn to Tampa and Florida and, you know, Colorado, obviously, yeah. right? If we're just in, if we're just talking about, you Would know, Ottawa kind of, be a top 10 pick? It might be on the borderline top 10. But if we're talking about teams that kind of profile as really set up for the future, you know, I would look at like LA over Ottawa probably, right? And, and LA already made the playoffs. Yeah. Going to be competitive again this year. Plus they have a really impressive depth of prospects. So I think Ottawa is kind of in that mix, mm-hmm. but I don't think it's, I, I don't think they have such an overwhelming kind of bounty of picks and prospects and young players coming that, that they're the clear choice over some other teams. That is one of the interesting things about Ottawa. So they've, they've had a great offseason. They had to brink at. They obviously are pushing forward. You know, Pierre Dorian famously saying last year, the rebuild is over. And yes, they've got a very young roster. But and not that their prospect system is bare. It's just not all that deep anymore <laughs> you know they they do have Ridley Gregg um they've got a couple of defensemen in Bernard Docker and Lassie Thompson that have been drafted recently that are still interesting but are getting into their early 20s so you wonder when they're going to graduate and what that means for them as former first round picks of course they've got Jake Sanderson that they're really excited about and should be he's one of the best players to yet play in the NHL but uh, he is going to be there this year. I I would say Ottawa is in a really interesting spot, but I do wonder about their depth of prospects not being all that great given that they've been so bad for a long time. Well, and a lot of that is that they've graduated guys. You know, yeah. guys have gone kind of straight to – the NHL or really early to the NHL in their career, you know, like Stutzla, now Sanderson, 
So that happens, right? And we even see, we've seen that with the Canucks, where you graduate a bunch of players really quickly, and then your prospect depth isn't all that great. Ottawa now they're going into the hard part of the process. It, yeah. it, it's a lot easier to collect those assets, you know, collect cap space, not try to be competitive, bring in young players. That's the easy part. The hard part then is to translate all that into a consistently winning team. And hey, they had a really interesting offseason, right? Adding to Brinkett, adding Claude Giroux. That's nice. That's really nice. It's a good start to that process, but that's not all it's going to take for them to actually, again, not just take a step forward this year, but to actually become a competitive Stanley Cup team. They've still got a long road between where they are now and where they want to get to, presumably. And as you said, it's not as if they can just sit back and cool their heels and wait for this next wave of players to come and get them over the hump. Yeah, I think New Jersey would be a team yep. that I'd take over Ottawa as well. As far as like, hey, rebuilding teams that are going to be pretty good soon Mm -hmm. or should be pretty good soon in theory. Uh, If you're going to look at Arizona, I mean, uh, you're basically just starting with a clean slate. Arizona is just, yeah, I don't know. It would be really tough to peg where Arizona should be in that that list because, as you said, clean slate, but that also means you have almost nothing to work (laughs) with in terms of actual NHL talent. You have Jacob Chikrin, that's about it. Yeah. Clayton Keller. Chikrin and Keller. That's that's all you got. Yeah. Beyond that, nothing really for the future outside of like, you know, prospects you've recently drafted. It's uh, Dan Richo and Jamie Dodd. So um Canada and Slovakia coming up a little bit later on today, three o'clock. Um that that'll be uh, all the Bogdan's hot ass discussion. For, well, for the rest, you never of the know. <laughs> Let's see. Let's see what comes up. You never know. Now, uh, okay. So Jamie and I had way too much fun with this uh, prior to the show beginning, and I want to warn the podcast listeners that you uh, may not be able to hear this because of copyright reasons. But one of the funniest things to happen last night, and maybe one of the funniest things to ever happen in a major league baseball game. All right. Wow. The uh, New York Mets were having women's night. Is, uh, yes, I, get I that believe correctly? that's right. Women's night uh, and at so, Citi Field. Uh, their players were honoring female artists with their walk-up songs, and uh, Daniel Vogelbach came out to Milkshake. I don't know. It's funnier when you see him walking up to the plate. Yeah. I I hope everyone can picture Daniel Vogelback in their mind's eye. So to understand really where the comedy comes from here. Six foot 270, I believe. Yes, he's he's a a rotund gentleman. (laughs) He's got some weight to him. Daniel Vogelback, anytime he's like scoring on a single from second. Oh, man. It's basically like a fat guy touchdown in the NFL. Yeah, <laughs> it's like look at this hunk of man yeah. meat yeah. coming around third, and he leans into it too. Like, oh, obviously man. with the milkshake thing, he's uh, he's he all embraces for it. it. Yeah, he's having a monster year too. He's on fire right now for the Mets. Uh, can can we just clip the very end of that to hear the Mets broadcast and what they think about Daniel Vogelbach coming out to milkshake, Greg? Probably a good thing, Keith. 
There was I a. You know what? It's funnier because it's Keith Hernandez. <laughs> yes, you know? it is. You know, Keith, it is my ringtone. <laughs> should we play his other clip from the game? I think we should. Do it. Let's do it. He came back from break from commercial, and, and this is what the fans heard. Who sings this song? It's Shania Twain. I like this song. Ian Jabot in for the second time in this series. Were we just on? Yeah, that was all, that was all on the air. Oh, I thought we were off the air. <laughs> well, it's, um, you know, I, I consider that a victory, Keith, because there's nothing that you said that causes any problem. Keith Hernandez, had, he's had quite the week. Yeah. He's not doing Phillies games anymore. Oh, yeah. And he had to shut down his Twitter account because he received so much blowback from Phillies fans. His reason for not doing his Phillies games was they are not uh, defensively good enough for him to, <laughs> to so watch So he's boycotting game. so Phillies he's just, games? He's just not doing Phillies games anymore. And he had to lock his Twitter account because he got so much <laughs> uh, interesting comments from Phillies fans. I've game. never heard of an announcer refusing to call a team's games because they don't live up to his standards. Well, Hernandez is known for well, his great. Job, I was going right? to say, great first yeah. defensive first baseman. That's so incredible. He's so though. disgusted by the Phillies' defense, he will not broadcast their games. I'm serious. That uh, is incredible. <laughs> as far as fundamentally and defensively, the Phillies have always been just not up for it. Is that an actual <laughs> quote? Yeah, <I> <laughs> oh, man. This is, uh, wow, Keith Hernandez, man. Legend. Absolute legend. I can never disassociate him from Seinfeld. No, like forever, no for sure. He'll forever be linked to that show to me. Just forever. <laughs> and just for men ads, too, right? The uh, <laughs> yeah, the hair dye? Stash is trash. Yeah. Stash is trash. Him and Clyde Fraser? <laughs> it's like yeah, it's like Troy Palomalu in Head and Shoulders, yeah, you know? Exactly. It's his legacy now. <laughs> uh, Keith Hernandez. The Boyfriend. As we know him from uh, from Seinfeld as well, Dan Richo and Jamie Dodd, uh, Halford and Bruff in the morning. Coming up, Adam Kimmelman, his take on uh, the World Juniors to this point and what to expect moving forward. That's next on Sportsnet 650. Shout out to one of the Latvian goal scorers, Bogdan's hot ass. Fantastic name. Say that again, sorry. Bogdan's hot ass. It is Halford and Bruff in the morning. Hour one of the program is brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Build your company to win with Kubota from Avenue Machinery. And our title sponsor here on Halford and Bruff in the morning is the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today. Canada with a win at the World Juniors yesterday, 5-2 over Latvia. They've got Slovakia coming up a little bit later on this afternoon. Joining us now to talk about the World Juniors is Adam Kimmelman of NHL.com and, of course, the host of the NHL Draft Class podcast. Thanks for this, Adam. How are you? I'm good. How are you guys doing? Uh, we're, we're doing pretty well, man. Uh, 
So Connor Bedard feels like the real deal, hey? Uh, yeah, I don't know if there was a whole lot of doubts coming in, but anybody who had them certainly he shouldn't have them anymore after last night's game. You know, you knew he'd be a spotlight guy. You knew he would be a, a prime guy. I didn't know where he would fit into the Canada lineup. You know, uh, I'd spoken to Dave Cameron before the tournament, and he said Bedard was going to start on the wing. He didn't say where, which line, but to see him on the top line there with uh, Mason McTavish was a, not maybe not a surprise, but, you know, a good opportunity for him, and he stepped up, and he certainly seized that opportunity. You know, a goal and an assist, eight shots. He looked like exactly how you wanted him to look. You want to see him dominate, and he certainly looked like a dominant player out there. And the other uh, standout performance from Canada, or standout goal at least for Canada in that win against Latvia came from the uh, the center's prospect, Ridley Gregg. And, you know, not nearly as a, as household of a name, obviously, as Connor Bedard, but, I mean, what did you think about that goal and, and your thoughts on Gregg uh, as a prospect? Well, I think he's an outstanding prospect. You know, he's a shift disturber, right? That's where he's going to be when he gets to the NHL. He, you, you saw the offensive skill, but he's an agitator guy, you know, cut from kind of a Brad Marchand type of cloth where he's a really skilled guy, but he's a guy who can get under the skin of the opposition, be real tough to play against. He's a feisty guy, but you saw the skill when he made that spectacular one-handed, backhanded little snap poke shot between that, that beat the goalie. It was a, it was a fabulous play. And, and look, you know, again, Canada's so deep at Ford. Like you could, you know, the armchair coaches could structure these lineup however you want. But again, when I talk to Dave Cameron, he really likes Ridley Gregg's game. He really likes him as a, as a third line center, just to kind of be, you know, a 200 foot guy, a guy who can chip in some offense, a guy you're not going to rely on to score a ton of goals but he's going to check. He's going to be feisty. He's going to win faceoffs. He's going to kill penalties. And then if he can do what he did last night, getting that goal, that's even better. So he's a guy that, that might not be a spotlight player for Canada, but if they win it, he's a guy that's going to have a pretty big role in a number of different areas. Canada still the uh, favorite for you? Um, I think so. I think they're, they're in the mix. It's going to come down to my guess would be Canada, U.S., and Sweden look like the three best teams in the tournament so far. I know it's only one game for everybody, but, you know, that's where the expectations were, and I think that's where the expectations stay. You know, Canada's depth is, is outstanding, and, you know, you wonder the goaltending always is going to be an issue, and, and Sebastian Casa was good, not great last night. and It sounds like it'll be Dylan Garan's turn against Slovakia to see, you know, the opportunities there for one of those guys to steal the net, take it and make it their own and, and be that guy as they progress through the tournament. So we'll see what happens in Slovakia tonight. The U.S., you know, again, just a really, really strong, deep team. They skate so well. They were so relentless against Germany. You know, you just kept waiting for the puck to go into the USN and for, and for their goalie, Cade and Barico, just to have a chance to even, you know, touch the puck let alone like have a chance to actually make a save. They were so dominant and, you know, we'll see if they're able to maintain that same level of dominance tonight against uh, Switzerland in the late game. But those two teams and, and, and also Sweden really look like 
the, the class of the tournament so far. Well, and this is interesting. One of the stories from uh, yesterday's action, Adam, was, you know, Canada, okay, ends up with a three-goal victory over Latvia, but not necessarily as uh, as dominant a performance as you might have expected, or at least as dominant a scoreline in the end. And, you know, Switzerland hangs in really tough with Sweden, scoring a couple of goals to, to end up making that a one-goal game as well. Is that just kind of a fluke one-off from the, the underdogs in those games, or is there maybe something to, you know, the oddness of this tournament, the fact that it's going on in August, that it, it might take the powerhouses a little bit longer to get uh, to get up to full speed here. I think it's a little bit of both. I, I think the first game is always sort of the big landmine for some of these elite teams because there's nerves. There's, you know, the, all the expectations are you have to be that team right out of the gate. You know, if you're Canada and you see Latvia ha- after having already played a game, you're getting them on the second game of a back-to-back. Well, if you don't score 10, 12 goals on them, like something's very wrong. But, you know, Canada's coming in, short camp, one pre-tournament game. They're still figuring each other out. And again, it's the middle of August. It's sort of, you know, these guys, the calendar sort of dictates where they are in their, in their offseason. So in, in the, generally speaking, in August, they're just getting back onto the ice, just getting their skating legs under them. Well, now you're expected to be, at 100% full speed out in the middle of August. It's sort of a shock to the system for some of these guys. So the first game, you know, you combine that with where we are in the calendar. I'm not surprised that there were a couple of bumps in the road and maybe game one wasn't the smoothest for some of these teams. But I think as we get into tonight, tomorrow, the games over the weekend, I think you'll see more of that, that dominant, that, fully shaped out that fully formed game that you're kind of expecting to see. I think getting through the first one and then everybody else get sort of get their legs under them, get up to uh, tournament speed, so to speak. Who, um, who impressed you the most off of us's roster in game one? Um, you know, I, I, it's hard to say because they were just so dominant. You know, yeah. you look at the way they were able to get to the net and some of their bottom six forwards, you know, uh, a guy like red savage, you know, he was he was really good. Riley Duran was really good. Just the way they were able to, you know, you, you kept waiting for them to, would they take their foot off the gas a little bit? Would they get frustrated? And, you know, uh, Nate Lehman talked to my colleague at NHL.com, Mike Morial, and he said that, you know, he wants his team to be relentless. And they were certainly relentless from minute one to minute 60 against Germany. They never took their foot off the gas. They never dialed back that forecheck. They kept Germany bottled up in their own end for, for shift after shift after shift from period one right through period three. So it was, you know, I, I hate to use the, the, you know, just say, well, it was a total team effort, but it kind of was because all four lines, all six D pairs really just pushed that pace and kept that puck deep in the German end. But I, I think really the, the bottom six guys, especially, you know, the, the, the Durant and the Savage is really, if they're going to get that kind of, four-line effort on a nightly basis, they're going to be a really difficult team for anybody to square up against in a one-game tournament. Uh, Luke Hughes was super impressive in that first game. Obviously, a big spotlight on him. Uh, Canucks fans are always wishing that uh, (laughs) somehow the Canucks were able to pull off Luke and Quinn on the same roster. Not to be. Um, But are you surprised he's going back to Michigan for another year? Uh, Or or does he look NHL-ready to you? Um. 
I think the answer to both is, is I think, yeah, yeah, he looks NHL ready, but no, I'm not surprised he wants to go back to Michigan for another year. I, I think there's some pride in that team where you look at the talent that they have and they expect to be national champions. I think there's that, there's that desire, like maybe a little bit of unfinished business that that group has that they want to be NCAA champions. And I know there's a lot of other issues going on in Michigan right now, but you know, I think amongst that group of players, they want to prove that they're the best college team in the country. And it also doesn't hurt them to get a little bit older, a little bit stronger, a little bit more physically mature. All these guys at this age certainly can do it. And I don't think it hurts him a bit. And I don't think the Devils are all that necessarily upset that he wants to go back, that he wants to continue to round out his game, that there are areas that he can improve. He can get stronger. He can get a little bit better defensively. So, you know, yes, he, he's got the offensive skills, the skating, the puck handling, the way he can get the puck in his own end and, and pretty much create his own forecheck, create his own attack because he skates so well and he's so mobile and he's so elusive and he's, and he's so smart. But just to work on the defensive end of the game, to get a little bit stronger, only is going to hurt, only is, is going to help him. He's NHL ready right now, but now you're just going to continue to polish him and make him even better. Uh, one of his teammates at Michigan, also on the uh, the U.S. World Junior Team, is uh, Canucks prospect on the blue line, Jacob Truscott. Obviously, much uh, much lower profile prospect than Luke Hughes. Not going to put up the big numbers or or have the the flashy skill that Hughes does. But from Truscott, I mean, what are you looking for in this tournament? And also, what will you be looking for next year at Michigan as as he kind of continues to develop and tries to take that next step as a prospect? Well, again, it's sort of the same thing with with Luke Hughes. It's it's get stronger round out your game you know college is a college hockey is a wonderful place for some of these guys because it's a weekend league so what that allows you is more time in the gym more time on on the practice rink just to work on your skills whatever area of your game you feel you might be deficient you will have ample opportunity to to spend as much time as you need working on that with your teammates with the coaches working on watching video seeing where you can get better it's such an ideal thing for guys who, who they, they might be really good in one area, but if they need time, extra time to round out their game, college hockey is the perfect vehicle for them to do it because you only play three games a week and the rest of the time can just be skill development. So whatever area of the game Truscott and, and the Canucks development staff have identified that he needs to work on, it'll be a wonderful opportunity for him to, to focus on that. And playing in this tournament is a great play, way to, for him to jumpstart that, right? Like, God, he's, when he gets to school and they start their, you know, building up for their season when it starts in October and November, he's already going to be at another level from having played in these games in August. So he's going to hit the ground running. It's going to give him even more of an advantage when Michigan season gets rolling. So it's a great chance for him to just continue to round out his game in whatever area he and the Canucks think he needs to be better. Now, uh, one player that I'm I'm interested in watching is Brad Lambert on on Finland. You know, he was a highly touted prospect, dropped to to the bottom end of the first round here to go to the Winnipeg Jets at 30th overall. Scores in game one. Uh, do, do you think this is kind of a a bit of a redemption tournament, maybe for for Brad Lambert? Well, let's go back to December, and you know when this tournament originally was held, and there were so many question marks about Brad Lambert because. He's playing in Liga, but he's not really living up to the expect the external expectations. And then he goes to World Juniors and he has five points in two games. 
and he just looked like a dominant presence every shift in those two games. Well, now you're going to see that again here in August, where when he's playing against guys his own age, he's really able to use the skating, use the speed, use the vision, use the, the, the high-end hockey IQ to really be an impact player. And I think you're going to see more of that as his tournament wears on. I, I think in Lambert's case, maybe he was pushed a little bit too far, a little bit too soon, and the expectations maybe were a little bit out, outsized from what player he, what kind of player he's actually going to be. When you see him against players his own age, whether it was at the under-18s a couple of years ago, World Juniors now, he can be an, a high-end, high-impact player. He's just going to need a little bit more time as he, to, to physically develop, to get older, to handle the higher-end hockey. But I have no doubt in my mind that he has the, the makings to be an outstanding NHL player when he just gets a little bit older, a little bit more physically mature. I think getting him at number 30 by the Jets, I think we're going to be talking about this five years, ten years from now as one of the steals of the draft. Connor Bedard, obviously going to be the highlight from a, a draft-eligible player a perspective of this tournament. But in terms of guys who you know haven't yet been drafted or eligible for next year's draft, and you know I know it can uh, it can be difficult for them to really break through and have a starring role at this tournament going up against older players. But who else in that category are you excited to watch at the tournament? Well, the, there's a player from Slovakia, their center, Dalibor Dvorsky, who's an A-rated player. Could be you know again we're talking about another potential top five pick in the draft for a player from Slovakia, but he's a guy who's going to get a lot of opportunity to be a real impact player. He had an assist, you know, when he played 16 minutes in the opener against Chikia, he's a guy that as this tournament goes on, he's going to have a real big opportunity to shine to make an impact on NHL scouts. Um, you know, as you, it's, it's really amazing. This renaissance of Slovakian hockey, you know, you saw it last year at the draft with Slavkovsky and then, Simon Nemich, and, and they're not there, so now the spotlight's going to be on Dvorsky a little bit. So if you're wondering about guys for the 2023 draft, Bedard is going to be you know, the main spotlight guy. But if you get a chance to watch Dalibor Dvorsky from Slovakia, he's a guy that definitely should be at the top of your list. If, if you're a team that's going to be picking in the top five, top ten, he's a guy that's going, that you're going to want to keep an eye on. Uh Another uh, Canucks prospect I want your take on, Jonathan Lekromacki was selected uh, 15th overall. Sweden opened their tournament with a 3-2 victory yesterday. He's got to be one of the younger players playing here uh, right now, Adam. And, and I just, we, we know about the shot. What do you look for, uh, or, or what do you like about Jonathan Lekromacki's game? Well, you said it. it it's that high-end shot. You just want to see him be able to find the space to get it off. You know, this is the highest level he's going to play at. He was a dominant player at the under-18s. Well, now it's another level. Now it's another step up. Now it's older players, guys who are a little bit more physically developed, guys who have been through a little bit more than what he's gone through. And, yes, I know Jonathan's played some in the Swedish Hockey League, but this is where he's really going to be counted on. And he's a guy who's going to have to find some space to get that shot off. He had one, uh, one shot on goal uh, the other night. They're going to need him to be a little bit more active, be a little bit more, you know, opportunistic finding his ice. It's going to be, it's not going to be as easy for him. So it's going to be a really good test for him to see how he's able to set himself up, find open areas of the ice, and to get that shot off. Uh, final thing before we let you go, you know, some some pretty big name players not uh, playing in this tournament because they're 
hoping to get ready for NHL training camps, Owen Power, uh, Matty Beneers, Shane Wright. Uh, specifically on, on Shane Wright, I was surprised he fell down to fourth overall. Uh, do you think that's that's going to look like a mistake by uh, some of the, the, the teams that passed on him? Well, I think Shane Wright is is a guy who can have an outstanding NHL career. I don't think he, he's not going to be the guy. He's not going to be a Connor McDavid. He's not going to be a guy who just grabs you out of your seat where you're you're jumping up and down saying, oh, my goodness, I can't believe he just did that. But he's a guy that, you know, in all the comparisons were to Patrice Bergeron, and if you watch him, if you watch Shane Wright, there's a lot of that in his game where he's just a really smart workmanlike player with very little flaw in his game. He can play in any situation, power play, penalty kill. You need a goal. He's the guy you want out there on the faceoff. You need to protect the lead. He's going to be a guy you're going to want out there. I think he's NHL ready now, whether the Seattle Kraken feel that way, I'm not sure. He's got. He's going to have a, a chance at training camp to prove that. But I think he's a guy that's going to be an outstanding NHL player not going to be the flashiest guy in the world, but look, he's still capable. I mean, he, he's, he was a guy who was better than a point a game in the, in, in the Ontario Hockey League. He's a guy who has that high-end offensive team, but it's the high-end hockey IQ that really helps him stand out. He is an all-situation, all-area player, and I think he's gonna, he, he projects to be a guy who's going to have a very good NHL career. Hey, Adam, really appreciate the time. Thanks for this. Anytime, guys. Uh, there's Adam Kimmelman, host of the NHL Draft Class podcast. Um, I'm I'm Team Shane right now. I know he's a Seattle Kraken. <laughs> I, I I'm kind of disappointed. Some of these players aren't playing in the tournament, but it's totally understandable. Like yeah. Owen Power is going to be in the NHL. Shane Wright's got a chance to make it straight out of the draft. Beneers, obviously. Um, it, it, Kind of sucks that we don't have all of those players in the tournament, which also takes away from some of the hype. You know, some of the better talents aren't there, mm-hmm. but um, you know they've got a chance at the NHL, and it kind of kind of also like reminds you that this is just a junior tournament, which you know the way the tournament's been built up for so many years, you almost forget. Well, plus it's uh, as you know, Reach, if Canada loses, you always dip into that excuse, right? Yes. Oh, well, you know, our, our best guys weren't there. In a normal year, it's our best guys are in the NHL. What are you going to do? That's why we lost. This year, it's, uh, hey, Shane Wright, Owen Power, weren't available. What do you want us to do? <laughs> uh, yeah, We would have won. We would have won if we, we had them. We absolutely could have won if those guys, uh, those guys were available. Uh, checking in on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Um... I am a proud Canadian. However, I am finding myself passionately cheering against Canada in this tournament. Incomprehensible how Hockey Canada is allowed to host the tournament. Go anybody but Canada, go. That's Aaron from Coquitlam. That's spicy. It's obviously, um, with everything going on with Hockey Canada, I don't think you're too out of line, Aaron. Uh, again, this is the problem with separating Hockey Canada from these players on this team who have nothing to do with the horror stories yeah. of the past, right? And that's that's the separation issue I think a lot of people are having right now with Hockey Canada. Yeah, and it is tricky. And the other thing is just 
everything about the tournament is kind of set up to remind you of the story constantly, right? Like not only the fact that it's the World Juniors and that's mm-hmm. what the, uh, as you said, the horror stories of the past revolved around. You know, you, you can see there's barely any sponsors yep. on on the boards because all of the sponsors pulled out. So you're constantly kind of aware of that. The lack of attendance, the whole thing, right, is just kind of it's an omnipresent reminder of the situation that hockey Canada is is in. It makes it a lot more difficult to kind of, okay, I'm worried about that, but I'm going to put that aside and cheer for this team. Because as I said, there's just all these reminders of the situation all the time. We kind of, we kind of do this all the time though, with the Olympics, with world cups, um, major international events where, organizations that aren't exactly mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> the easiest to really support, like the IOC and FIFA, are often supported. A lot of people will turn a blind eye because they just love sports yeah. and love cheering you, for their country. You hold your nose for you know the three weeks or a month yeah. or whatever it is, and, and you kind of put your concerns aside and you enjoy it. I mean... Yeah, we're we're the, all gonna we're all gonna have to do thing, that at the World Cup in a few yeah. months, and yeah, it, but it's it it can be tricky to do. the The real most important thing here is that the pressure stays on Hockey Canada to really, you know, induce some actual mm-hmm. change within the organization. And I think if you were worried that this tournament would hide some of that, yeah, or like yeah. oh, forget about that story because we're all gonna get behind Canada. I think the opposite is happening. Yeah. I think the bizarreness and the lack of attendance and everything else is putting more of a spotlight on Hockey Canada and the issues. Yeah, exactly. It, it, it could work in a, in a good way. You hope it works in a good way in that way. Dan Riccio and uh, Jamie Dodd. Halford and Bruff in the morning coming up. Where's your confidence level in the Canucks front office? We'll dive into that next on Sports at 650.